Hi, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Art of Customer Service, brought to you by Digital Compact. You might wonder why we record this session in English, but the answer is easy. We've gotten great international feedback and so follow the wish from the audience. Thus, it's going to be the same great content, the same great topics around customer service, just in your language. Let's get going. My name is Eric van Muller. I'm your host on this show, former canoeing world champion, father of three and founder of Solvemate, a leading platform for customer service automation. Our platform, powered by conversational AI, allows companies to deliver quality customer service faster. On the art of customer service, I talk with experts about what makes good customer service, which practices are relevant, which new technologies are available in the customer service area, and many other exciting topics around a great service experience. Before we start, if you like this podcast, feel free to leave five stars on the streaming service of your choice. Now to today's episode. It is about B2B customer service or addressing businesses as customers in service. We will be talking about B2B versus B2C customer service, the challenges between great one-to-one key account management and customer service at an international global scale. For this purpose, I'm thrilled to have invited my first overseas guest in this podcast. So we will be talking to Esteban Kolski, Head of Product at SAP CX Customer Service and Sales. He is located on the West Coast of America, and I'm happy to have him on the show today. Welcome, Esteban. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Great. Do you want to give us a quick introduction who you are and where you come from? I've been working in customer service for about 30 years. I've done pretty much any job that you can imagine in customer service. I have been anything from answering the phones in call centers to running call centers to planning call centers, implementing CRM solutions. Uh, I was a consultant. I was a practitioner for the last 20 years until about a year ago. I was an analyst. I spent eight years a gardener running the customer service agenda there, and then a few other years as an independent. About a year ago, I came to SAP for the purpose of running the strategy for the overall CX. And once we got that in place, we realized that we didn't need to do a deep dive into customer service. So right now I'm just running the strategy and the product for customer service, SAP. You tell it like this is not a big deal, but Esteban is a very experienced person, as you probably get from his introduction. And he's also a quite funny one. So I found out <laughs> on his LinkedIn profile, he still says he does an internship at SAP. It is an internship. Yes. <laughs> No, it's it's great being humble. That's how I also got to know you in the briefing call. So I'm happy to talk about customer yeah. service at SAP. By the way, Eric, I like the way you call me old by saying I'm very experienced, but you know, I won't <laughs> say anything about that. <laughs> uh, you know, you can start early and have a lot of experience. I think experience is about <laughs> the learning curve and the steepness of learning curve, not about the duration you've worked somewhere. So Absolutely. now I curve this ball back to you. I like to think that the various jobs that I had through my life, I started doing uh, programming when I was 16 in a job, mm -hmm. and uh, I've done just about everything since then. So the various jobs and the diversity of the jobs is what actually gives me the experience, right? I mean, being the person answering the phone in a call center, being the person writing the solution for the call center agents, the two extremes of that, it's pretty interesting to see from two perspectives. So Esteban, what are you doing at SAP? So if you know SAP, you probably know us very well because of our ERP prowess, right? We've been doing ERP for over 40 years. We are the best product out there. Virtually everybody out there who does some level of manufacturing or back office management uses SAP for what they do. And we do a really good job, but we also have some exceptional CX and CRM assets that we haven't been able to properly address to the market. So a little over a year ago, my boss, Bob Stutz, was brought in 
to tell a different narrative. And one of the first things he did is he brought me in to help him create this new narrative for SAP CX, SAP CRM. We spent six to nine months working on that. And in the process, we realized that our customer service and sales product is called C4C, which is either customer for cloud or cloud for customer. I don't remember, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> and if you don't remember, that says something. Yeah, it's, it's one of the, the two words and a four in between, right? So, you know, our C4C product needed a little revamping on the strategy and the narrative. And for the last five, six months, I've been working on that. And uh, we're getting in a pretty good position where we have a really great narrative, a differentiated view of the market. We're not trying to compete directly in the sense that, oh, we have a better one than this person or that person, but we're trying to create our unique experience, our unique narrative for customer service. And that's what I'm doing right now. Awesome. Great. Thanks for the introduction. Let's deep dive into the topic of today's episode. So SAP is a B2B software company and you are selling software to handle both B2B and B2C customer service probably. And you yourself are having thousands, tens of thousands of B2B clients. Yep. So I think I want to touch upon both things. First of all, do you structurally see a difference between a B2B and a B2C customer service? That's a great question, Eric, because I mean, my opinion is there's no difference in the actually a processing of the transaction, right? So what are you doing is you're looking at it in two different ways. A B2C customer is basically potentially millions of customers that are all nameless and anonymous. I mean, you can have 10,000 people come to your website asking for customers customer service on something to purchase, but you know very, very little about it. In a B2B instance, more, more than likely, you know your customer very well, you know their needs, you know you have a lot of data about them, and you can make better decisions. However, even though these two customers are very different, the process of delivering service is exactly the same. You understand the inquiry, you resolve the inquiry, you provide an answer, and you record what you did, so you can actually repeat it the next time that it happens. That hasn't changed in customer service forever. I mean, you mentioned B2B and B2C, right? Yeah, we also have the new concept of that D2C or direct-to-consumer. Companies that are going direct-to-consumer through the web without even knowing who they are and trying to sell and trying to manage service there. Uh, we have concepts of like you know uh, what we call ticketless customer service, which is like no matter who you are, I don't care. I'm just going to go provide service directly to what your need is and deliver to that. As all these things become more implemented and better known in the industry, we're starting to see a change in the way we do customer service, where there's no difference between B2B and B2C customers, even though we may have more information. But there's actually a deep focus on the solution to the problem. And the deep focus to that solution comes from the more data we know is better. But even if we don't know any data, we still have a solution to the problem. That's the key differentiation that we're trying to do today, is that go to one simple system that does both things, not two different systems to do different things. That's a very interesting point of view. I would object, you know, playing the devil's advocate here that in B2B customer service, if you like have something like key account management, you are not the anonymous person coming to a website and the nature of the inquiry is more complex and you have a named partner typically. So you can call someone where you have like the direct connection and you say, hey, Mr. Key Account Manager, I have this problem and the person recognizes you in his head compared to B2C customer service where you might call a landline, you don't know who you're getting at and you're a number in the database for the agent sitting in a call center. Absolutely. So how, how would, Sorry, you were saying, how would you reconcile those two models, I'm guessing? Mm -hmm. How do you bring this together? Great question, because, you know, that's actually the way most companies are operating today. If I know you, I can provide a certain level of service. If I don't know, I cannot provide that. Let me throw a little uh, a little bit of a monkey in the wrench, right? I mean, wrench in the monkey, mm -hmm. whatever it's called. I mean, wrench in the system, whatever. <laughs> let's, change, let's change the model a little <laughs> bit. How's that? What if I were to tell you that when somebody comes to you in a B2C model, you have the ability to know 
all this information that you know about somebody in a B2B model. We as humans go into social media, we go online, we go everywhere, and we leave little pieces of ourselves strewn around the world. So if you were to be doing only B2C customer service, and if you were to be like, you know, really focused on how to provide better service, you could collect all this information. You know, all the information that you collect becomes part of my profile. And now I have a unique profile that can act as similar to the profile that you have if you're in a B2B business, right? This differentiation on how you actually do B2B and B2C is what we are focusing here today in trying to implement in our CDP. One of the reasons where we are differentiating the way we do customer service and marketing and sales and everything else, but mostly customer service, is because the CDP that we have, the customer data platform that we implement in SAP, is not a traditional CDP for marketing. It's an aggregate of information that provides a unique ID to every user, whether it's a consumer, a customer, or an unknown person, by collecting all the profile in that person, when you come to us, it doesn't matter if you're a business-to-business, business-to-consumer, or business-to-customer user, you're just one more user that we can deliver a solution. So when I was saying earlier, you know, we're trying to get away from, we have to know who you are, and we have to know all this information to deliver a solution. We're actually trying to get to the point that our CDP will provide us a unique identifier, a unique solution for every person, and then we can treat that person based on what we know, based on all the information they left behind, and based and what we know about the resolution. That's a very interesting point of view, Esteban. And just to recap, you call it CDP, Customer Data Platform. And if I recall that right, if I'm like using SAP or like a general like CRM and ERP system, you should have tens of thousands of B2B clients or hundreds of thousands or millions of B2C clients. But logically, they all should have like, as you say, an entity in my database and I should track their behavior, how often they contacted customer service, which products they are using, what their preferences are. And then I'm going to put this into the database of records. So you come from a product perspective and from a product perspective, I've understood you say it's the same thing, whether you are writing an email to a key account manager, which is going to be processed in your CDP customer data platform, or you're a B2C customer of, let's say, a telco asking for an invoice copy. From a product perspective, I would 100% agree. From a business perspective, I would like to dig deeper quickly into, isn't there a difference in relationship building? You know, B2B key account management is about knowing a relationship, sometimes also about social caring. In comparison to, I'm the anonymous user in a telco, Mm -hmm. for example. So it's actually, it's fascinating because I used to do presentations all over the world. In my presentations, I used to say, let me tell you the difference between B2B and B2C. I'm so curious now. (laughs) In B2B, you have a customer who's been buying airplanes from you for the last 40 years that, you know, everybody in the company up and down, you know, from the CEO down to like, you know, the VP of operations, down to like the head of like implementation and you know who they are and what they want and what they need and everything else. And whenever they have a question, they can call directly your cell phone and all the stuff. In B2C, you have somebody who goes to your website to buy a five cent widget, a little screw that they buy from your website that you deliver and you never see again from. That used to be the difference between B2B and B2C. And, and in that sense, I agree with you. This is what happens. I mean, we're not taking away, we're not changing the model. We're changing the infrastructure to support the model. You still continue to have people that buy airplanes from you, which are very complicated things to buy, by the way. In case you were wondering, an airplane costs hundreds of millions of dollars and requires about <laughs> 3,000 decisions of what you're going to get with the airplane, right? But you can still have people that buy airplanes from you directly through a phone call or a contract or a three-year negotiation process. And you can still use the same infrastructure to support somebody who comes to your website. The difference is all the information that you knew before we didn't have a way to actually know for the consumers and the customers that came through the website. You know, the person who actually spent years documenting how the airplane manufacturer works or why I know every single person within that account, you know, we didn't have the ability to do that on the open web. But now we do. That's the difference. The digital revolution, the digital transformation world that, that we lived through the last 10, 15 years that, that we've been implementing gave us that ability to do that. 
So differentiating how we actually deliver to both and the lack of information is no longer an option. The idea is, you know, we have the ability to do it. Look, you want to go cheap? Sure. You don't have to do the whole information sharing for B2C. You can just, you know, do ticketless. A bunch of companies have done this very well. Or like, you don't care who can see it, just get a question, give it an answer and go on their way. Or move it to self-service or move it to the community, so move it to chatbots. You know, it's the easiest and cheapest way to deliver B2C customer service. But that's not real customer service. That's just getting rid of a problem. If you want to do customer service, we got to take the model that we built in B2B and find a way to put it in the B2C solution. And that's where all this, like, you know, data aggregation, data personalization, hyper-personalization, contextual service solution providing and all that. That's where all these concepts start coming in. And we have the same, the same model that we actually excelled at over the last 10, 20 years moved over to the consumer side. That's very interesting to hear. Maybe to rephrase in my words, you say... In the past, there has been a key account manager who needed to memorize things and like who he knows and their preferences are. Today, we have the technology to kind of document all of this in a system. And basically, the software that comes from B2C is now taking over B2B customer service so that there is no difference anymore how you kind of deliver the service to the client because it should follow the same process. Because systems like SAP CX for customer service or these tools exist and companies should change their thinking about customer service. Absolutely. In B2B. Absolutely. So let's say that you are a purchasing manager for the airplane manufacturing company, right? And you go to pick your favorite online place. I mean, Amazon, Alibaba, whatever it is, pick one of your favorite e-commerce places. You go to e-commerce and uh, you get a problem with something that you purchased and then you get a certain level of customer service. Now your expectations are set that that's what customer service is, right? And trust me, the customer service that you get is quick, fast, efficient, gets a problem resolved, usually with a follow-up for like a you know feedback management sometimes or something like that. Hopefully, hopefully that's the way typically. It's not everywhere. I can tell you from experience for the audience, we just saw crossed fingers over the video here. <laughs> yeah. I've been helping write strategies for customer service for 20 plus years yeah. and this is where we start, right? So I mean, I know the strategy yes, is such that that's what we're trying to do. But the point is of like, course. you know, once, once your expectations are set at a certain level, you can go to a different level of expectations. In the airplane manufacturing company, for example, if you get good service from somebody who calls you directly at your cell phone and tells you what your problem is and how we're working to resolve it, and then you get called to get a resolution to the problem, that's the expectation that you have. Now, when you go online, you expect the same. You're the same person. The person receiving the customer service has two different personas. One is a business persona where they work. The other one is a personal persona where they actually go online on their own. But the expectation is the same. Most of the complaints that you hear about customer service on the B2C world are because, you know, they got better service somewhere else and now you have to match it, right? And that's the idea. It's like, you know, we have a model for customer service that is very good and very efficient in B2B. We need to find a way to put the same model in B2C. And what stopped us before was not being able to use the data in an efficient manner. Now, we're getting to the point that we can use the data in an efficient manner. Now we're getting to the point that like thanks to technology innovations in cloud, we can actually deliver hyper-personalized, unique experiences built on the moment for every single customer, every single time they come. So those components, that infrastructure behind it, that's what's going to change customer service. Is it out there yet? Probably less than 1% of companies, if I'm being you know graceful and like, you know, very, very optimistic, right? And keep in mind, I've been doing this for 20 years, so I know everybody who's doing it. <laughs> but 
we're going to get there because this is the only way that it works. I mean, you need to have an optimized model for customer service where like, you know, the stakeholders are changing constantly, but it doesn't matter. It's about building the best solution possible in every single instance based on the context, based on the intent, based on what I learned about the interaction. And then the best part is like, you know, if I actually hone this into B2C for, like you said before, millions of customers, then I can take my lessons learned from that and apply them to B2B to deliver a better B2B solution as well. This is almost like, you know, Honda and Renault and all these companies making F1 cars and racing F1 cars at 300 miles an hour. Why would you do that? Well, what we learned there, we can actually reduce and apply to the other side and build better cars for the road. And if you see the reliability of cars over the last 20 years, the way that it's been increasing is mostly because of rally cars and F1 cars that actually have given us the insights into how we can actually do better for the civilian cars. I love that analogy, Esteban. And uh, I'm trying to build up a mental picture of, you know, on the one side B2C and on the other side B2B. And B2B takes over like the technology that we've built up with all this uh, information gathering from the B2C software so that, you know, B2B customer service gets much more automated and gets the same context. That was the first trend that we discussed. And the second trend, which you just said was that from a B2B side, because like it's the same consumer, the same consumer has the same expectations. Either he's like buying something professionally or he's the end client buying the screw or the airplane and setting the standards and i really like this example of kind of the expectations are trickling down from the f1 car to the road cars which are getting more you know safe and faster and reliable and efficient because of all the you know race technology developments and now i would like to take this thought one step further and i think everyone knew that you want to have a great, personalized, direct customer service in B2C. The point is, with increasing competition in our digitalized and global world, customer service became what I would say, like, you know, very like cost sensitive because you can't really for let's say selling a screw on Amazon for something valuable a few euros you can't do fully personalized 24/7 Sunday hotlines mm -hmm. and because of that there is now this trend of you know trying to get a digitalized fully personalized given like the customer journey customer service which is coming from the expectations of B2B which is the soft advancement and yeah. that also needs better tools Would yeah, you agree? I agree. I totally agree. You, you said it really well. You, you summarized better than I do, by the way. Thank you for that. <laughs> you said it very well. The key to all this, in all honesty, is the realization that customer service is customer service is customer service. It doesn't matter who's on each end. It doesn't matter what they're looking for. It doesn't matter what they're trying to accomplish. You have a problem. You express your problem. There's a solution. We deliver the solution and we document what happened. That's customer service. It's been like that forever. Whether, you know, in the 1950s when you bought a, an appliance and you had to go back to the appliance store where you bought it for service and they would actually say, oh, Mr. Johnson, thanks for coming back. How's that blender working for you? Well, actually, it's not working. Oh, no, bring it over here. We'll take care of it. You know, oh, here's what happened. Here's what we did. Here's your blender that's working now. Thank you very much for trusting us with your service, Mr. Johnson. That's a model. If you think about it, it's what's happening today. The difference is like, you know, the complexity of the product and the complexity of the relationship increase. So we need to to find a, a way to manage that complexity. That's all we're doing. Nothing has changed in like 60 years in doing customer service. I want to rephrase that sentence that you said. Customer service is customer service and is customer service. And maybe that's interesting to understand for like the audience when we talk about B2B and B2C and one of the big takeaways that you said a lot of times that it's about focusing on the solution and documenting things and being personalized. I think that's interesting to understand that Customer service is just customer service. I, I like that, you know, alliteration. 
Yeah, you know, I've been saying this for a long time. When I was a gardener in the early 2000s, I came up with a model called Customer Interaction Hub, which doesn't matter, it's outdated and all that. But it was the first time that somebody said, I don't care what inquiry is. I'm going to strip down the inquiry to the bare components, resolve the inquiry and provide an answer, regardless of channel, regardless of person, regardless of anything else. The more input that I have, the better my answer becomes. But that's not the issue. The issue is not whether I can get more or less input. The issue is like, you know, how can I get more or less answer, right? If you have a customer service solution for B2B or B2C that's tied to a knowledge base with articles and what to do with the different parts of the equation, whether it's a product or a service or whatever it is, the more input that you can get into the search, the better the search will be. You go from getting a thousand hits on a question to getting a hundred, to getting a 10, to getting one eventually, right? So that's the idea. The idea is like, you know, continue to refine the model to get to that simple answer. There's two statements that we've been saying forever, which are really true. Number one, the best customer service is no service. Preventing the problem is the best way to go there, right? I, I would be the happiest customer service manager in the universe if I get zero transactions, which means that all my customers are happy because they got what they needed, right? Whether they got it through a community, whether they got it through self-service, through a chatbot, or some other user, I don't care how it gets resolved. It doesn't have to come through me for me to have the power. So the best service is no service. In the failure of that, the best service is, is like, you know, fast, efficient, and accurate. So finding what's the right answer to give you that is accurate to exactly what you need in the best way possible and deliver it to you, that's the best service that you can provide. If you actually think in terms of like how this works, it's like, I want to deliver a solution that allows you to find your own answer first because you don't need me here, right? 80% of customer service uh, transactions start on the Google search line. People don't go to like, you know, apple.com and say, how do I fix this? People go to Google and say, how do I fix this? And then Apple which is really smart about customer service, sends you to a litany of like, you know, communities that the question has been answered many, many times. Now I'm putting you, the user, as a customer service agent, and you get the solution that you want and you go happily your way. Is that customer service, even though you never came to me? Of course it is. So that's the preventing part. The second part that I was saying, you know, and I know that I realized I'm going a little too long on this, but the second part is like, you know, once you get to me, I need to have so much information that instead of getting a thousand potential hits on the, your answer, I get 10 or one. And if I can actually do that, if I can get from where you are to one every single time, I can begin to automate that. I can move it over to Google and then I'll never have to see you again. The best customer service manager is a customer service manager that has zero hits into the system. That's my statement. Thank you. I didn't want to interrupt you at all on this statement. Like I could see Eamon on this podcast show. I've heard this a few times from the best CX and customer service leaders that say at the heart of customer service is no customer service. And only if there is any problem with how we like how our product works or how we communicate about our product, only then you need to contact customer service because mm -hmm. in an ideal world, and I'm hearing you're a very idealistic person and one should be when thinking about customer service, right. in an ideal world, there shouldn't be a point of why I should contact the company because they should preempt my problem and give me the right information at the right point in time. It's funny you say idealistic. I always battle with this thing that people say like, God, you're such a visionary. And I'm like, I'm not a visionary. I just tell you the way it should be. It's not a vision. I don't have a CD go like, oh, hold on. Hold on. And then no service. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. No, it's just this is the way it should be. This is the way our customers expect us to react. The fact that we deliver subpar customer service and we train our customers to expect more doesn't mean that we cannot do better for them, right? That's the only thing that I'm looking for. I think we both agree. That's what I wanted to highlight. <laughs> yep. But stating the future as per the definition, I would say, is something like a vision. But anyways, we are both aligned here. I quickly wanted to touch upon another topic, which I would call like coming towards the end of this show and going a bit into the future. And I wanted to think about channels. So historically, and please, you got more experience than I have, I would say B2B was you call your key account manager and B2C was you maybe write an email. So, you know, there is customer service channels and 
What I would postulate, and I'm curious on your view of that, is there is a convergence of channels because from the B2C side, you start using messaging. And we as a B2B company, so SolveMate selling B2B SaaS software, we have started doing Slack channels and Microsoft Teams like for real-time messaging with our clients in respect to, hey, they shouldn't call us. They should just drop us a real-time instant message on B2B messengers. Would you agree to this general trend? And do you think one day everything is converging so that B2B customer service works over WhatsApp? Or how do you think about that? I sure hope so. I've been pushing for eliminating channels as a way to separate customer service delivery for so long that I don't even remember what it looks like anymore, right? But we are working with Teams, with Microsoft, we're working with Zoom, we're working with, with Amazon, we're working with anybody who has some solution. We're working with WhatsApp and Facebook and you name it. We're working with them to try to set up a way and like channels are completely independent of the solution. I mean, you know, one of the main reasons why we moved from call center to email, as you said earlier, is because you know there was a latency built into email that we can leverage to reduce the number of people that we have answering questions, right? <laughs> I agree. If we would have done a good job with email, meaning like you know your email comes in and we answer within 30 minutes with the right answer and send it back to you, right? We would never have chat and WhatsApp and whatnot and Teams and all that stuff. All the customers want is a simple way to get to the solution. One of the biggest fallacies in customer service is to say, oh, you have to be where the customers are, meaning that you have to be in every single channel. You don't have to be in every single channel. If you're in every single channel providing crappy customer service, you're still not providing a good solution. Your customers will be more than happy to go to a website and register an inquiry and get an answer within 30 seconds or get it through email or get it through a phone call if you tell them that's the easiest way to get there. Nobody is committed to a certain channel just for the sake of being on the channel, right? So I mean, the channels are irrelevant. The channel is just becomes a communication method. Whether you have WhatsApp or you have, you know, Viber or you have like Facebook or you have Twitter or whatever. I despise social media. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. I think it's a bad thing to use for customer service. But I recognize that people are, go there because they don't have anywhere else to go. If I go to the website, if I go to Google, if I go here and then go there and I go three or four places and I don't find my answer and I'm frustrated, Twitter is the easiest way to get somebody's attention. That's all I'm doing is I'm getting attention i'm not getting a resolution i'm just getting attention if you notice anybody who goes on twitter says like you know hey company such and such you're not giving me service they said oh dm me your number and i call you to get an answer i would have called you for that except that you don't answer your phone right <laughs> so that's the thing it's like it's not about channels it's about like you know focusing again on the resolution the channel becomes a communication channel becomes a way to communicate back and forth there's latency built to different channels there's a synchronicity and or async, async communications built into every channel and however you want to handle it and it's my decision as a customer, but the idea is create a good resolution for the event and then don't worry about the channels. The channels take care of themselves. Esteban, you just used the word latency, which I found really interesting. And you said, if we would answer emails with 30 minutes, there would be no instant messaging necessary. And I want to take this thing of like thinking about latency, or we could say SLAs of when I'm going to answer to emails, or it's the same day, same week. And I want to apply this on the main topic of this podcast on B2B versus B2C. Do you believe is it B2C that has the higher expectations of faster reply times? Or do you think in a B2B world, we have like hard SLAs on when do I need to reply to a customer service request? What's your point of view on latency expectations? 
Ah, I love that question because honestly, it doesn't matter. It's a situation that dictates the latency expectation, not the channel or the model. If I'm a B2C customer, let's say that I'm a customer and I'm flying airline X, right? Back in the day when I was an analyst, I would actually name an airline, but now I'm not allowed to because I work for a company. <laughs> you know, so I'm flying airline X and, and like, you know, I'm racing through the freeway on my way to the airport. I know that I'm going to be late. I know that I'm going to miss my flight, but I want to get booked in the next flight right away. Right. And I pick up the phone and I call you. My expectation of latency is like, you know, because I'm calling you, you will give me the answer that I need right away, which is book me in the next available flight, confirm the flight, help me slow down and not kill myself on the way to the airport, return the car and get to the airline and all that. Right. If you remember business travel, this is like a year ago we used to do that. But, you know, so the expectation of latency in that case is immediate because, you know, I'm a B2C customer and I need something to be done right away. Now, let's take it to the B2B world. Let's say that I buy a router from you. Right. And this router is like, you know, the core of my business and my entire business goes through this router. If this router goes down, then my business is stopped. If the router stops, my expectation is the same as the B2C customer on the way to the airport. I'm going to call you, you're going to give me an answer right away. So latency doesn't really ascribe to the model as much as ascribe to the situation. If I am a customer on the B2B world and I like to get an answer on how I can upgrade something, but I'm not scheduled to do it for another three weeks, I'll send an email and whenever it comes back, I'm okay with it. No problem, right? If I have an issue right now, I get it resolved right now. If I'm a customer, you know, flying through the same airline, but I don't have a flight for another three weeks, but I want to make a change, I can send an email, I can go on chat, Twitter, whatever. I can call, but there's no expectation that it'll be resolved right away. The expectation, the intent of the user is what actually dictates the latency. Right, And it's not dictated by the company, it's dictated by the user. The reason that I believe that I can get better service on Twitter versus the phone, or the reason that I believe that I can get better service on email versus like the website, you know, whichever it is, that is actually what dictates my need for latency. So I will go to different channels to do it. Now, if you were to be a smart provider of customer service and you reduce latency in one channel to the point that it's almost unnoticeable, no matter what the inquiry is, and you train me as a customer to go there, I will use that all the time. If, you know, a company tells me, hey, don't call me, there's too many people on the phone, but go to the website, do this, do this, do that. There's an application there that lets you get whatever you want. I'll never call you. I don't want to talk to people. I just want a resolution to my problem. So latency is dictated by the intent and the need at the present time. And then it's a company's job to determine how that intent can be fulfilled better with an infrastructure that delivers like almost no latency in every single situation. I always like it when podcast guests tell me I'm asking the wrong question. And then they say, then in their answer, <laughs> they tell me what the right question would have been. And I, I like this mental model that you built of, hey, it's the nature of the inquiry that dictates my latency and not the channel. But typically, the channel has been used as a proxy for the latency because I was assuming when I'm calling, I'm getting a faster answer compared to I'm sending a physical snail mail. And I like the thought, my job at SolveMid is we are automating customer service with bots. And I find it really interesting because what you've just said is kind of one of our core themes that it's about finding the intent first and then on a per intent or per solution basis, defining the escalation strategy and the customer service processes. And for example, if you want to get an information that takes maybe three weeks, a company can decide, hey, this is going to create a ticket and it's going to be dealt with in the next, you know, five days or whatever. And for another process, which might be a complaint or a rebooking of some flight, as you said, I need to call someone right now. So I think what you just said, there should be a central place. In this case, I believe in bots, but I want to also know your point of view that finds what I want. And depending on what I want, companies can negatively seen discriminate, positively seen give me what I want on a per intent on a per solution basis saying, please call me now for your complaint, but please file this form for something. I will come back in two weeks later. What's your thought on how is that going to work in the future? 
I love it when I don't answer a question and people call me on it because you ask about SLAs before and I didn't address the concept. But that's basically what you're saying, right? I mean, there's a service level agreement based on the intent and the need of the inquiry. I mean, I still believe that even if you can resolve it immediately, there's got to be a whole set of issues that apply to how you're going to resolve this, right? Let's say that you send me a question via email about an upgrade and I could actually send you a, a link to a website where the answer for your question is there. I could do that right away and then get the issue resolved. But now in a B2B world, and maybe in a B2C eventually, but we're not there yet. In a B2B world, I can determine that you're my most valuable customer. You have a contract that says that we don't actually get you anything other than an engineer on site to resolve all your inquiries. I uh, you have a two-hour resolution time, which means I have to get an engineer within two hours for a specific thing, so four hours or six hours. And we have an SLA and we have all these things. So now, from the simple transaction that I said, I have a question, here's the answer, starts getting more complex, right? I mentioned earlier the complexity and how we're trying to resolve for that complexity. The SLA that you mentioned earlier is what determines how we resolve this, right? I don't think that latency is an issue unless we do a poor job of addressing certain channels. If you do a good job of actually resolving things regardless of the channels, that latency doesn't become an issue because latency is driven by expectations on the customer side and ability to provide on the company side. And then when those too much expectations met by resolution, that's the proper interaction. So how is this going to go in the future? Hopefully, <laughs> if everything goes according to plan and like you give me sufficient time, we'll get to the point where like, you know, every single interaction will have a multitude of complexity added to it on like, what's your intent? Where are you right now? When do you need the answer? What can I do? What are the contracts that I have with you? What are the promises that I made you as a brand? All these things kick into place, whether you're B2C or B2B, and we build the perfect solution that goes back to you through the appropriate channel at the right time in the right place. I feel like that was a great summary, Esteban, and I don't want to do anything more than just having the right information at the right place at the right time. And I just wanted to say thank you for having this awesome interview from Berlin, Germany to the West Coast of America. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I learned a lot in this podcast. I want to say a lot of thank you to you. Thanks for your time. Thanks for all these insight and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Eric. And it was great. It was a great conversation. I like your questions. You were very insightful. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks. Have a great day.